Well, I want to begin our time this morning just by asking God to bless our time in the Word of God. So would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today again. Lord, these are serious times in which we live, and each and every moment that we open your Word, we've got to see it as that serious. You are a serious God, and we are to be a sober people Certainly, you have given us the opportunity to enjoy emotion and laughter and the things that we might consider as fun, and yet all of that is to be seen through the eyes of our relationship with you, which is a sobering relationship, one which we do not deserve. So we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we ask, Lord, over the next several months that you would just highlight Christ in our hearts and our minds, that we might see Christ in all that we do, that He might be reflected in all that we say as we understand our relationship with Him in a greater way. So thank you for our time this morning. Enrich our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you this morning to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, big sigh goes on in the whole congregation because I've been saying that a lot. Uh, You're going to hear me say that a lot because for some time now I have been telling us that we are going to begin a study through the Gospel of Luke and today is that day in which we begin to do just that. So you will hear me say often, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Hopefully by the time we're done with the Gospel of Luke, your Bible will just flop open to that when you drop it down on the chair. My intent is actually not just to study through the Gospel of Luke, but to also continue our study after Luke through the sequel book written by Luke also, which was the book of Acts. So I want to begin a study today, beginning with the Gospel of Luke and taking us through the book of Acts. So Acts begins in a similar way as Luke does. It was written by the same person, and it is written to a man named Theophilus. And thereby we know that Luke is the author of Acts. He is never mentioned in there as being the author, and yet we know that because of how the gospel of Luke starts, and therefore also how the book of Acts starts. He is essentially continuing his theme of Luke through Acts in the highlighting Jesus Christ and the beginning of the church of Christ as we see it in Acts. So we're going to to be in this canon of Scripture given to us by God through Luke, through the hand of Luke for some time. In fact, several Months ago, probably, maybe if not months, it's certainly weeks ago, I told Debbie that I wanted to start a study through Luke and then Acts, and she said to me jokingly, well, that's probably going to be the final books I ever hear you preach. Right Now, Debbie wasn't saying that because Debbie's a aged woman, <laughs> trying to be very careful here. No. I don't know if that'll be the case, that this will be the last books that she will ever hear. But she said that primarily because she knows that Luke has given us more by way of content in Scripture than any of the other New Testament writers. Now, that just saying that may shock you right out of the gate, that Luke has given us way more by way of conduct. Um, But he has, and we certainly don't want to rush through all that Luke has given us in our own study. But Luke has given us by way of content more than any other New Testament writer, even more than the Apostle Paul who gave us 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. You say, well, that sounds rather strange. He only gave us two books. Yes, he only gave us two books. He gave us, by God's design, Luke through Luke, Luke and Acts. And yet there is more content by way of volume in those two New Testament books than even in all 13 of the Apostle Paul's books whom God used to give us more than or almost half of the New Testament. 
Now, I'm not going to go into all the statistical data that you can look up, and you can find that at a touch of a button on your data searching device that we all have to show you that fact, but you can certainly find it with ease in your own time. And so Debbie knows that we take our time as we walk through the Bible. We don't rush through the Bible. It is, as I prayed this morning, sobering each and every time that we open the Scriptures, and we certainly do not want to rush. And so therefore, she might be correct. She might be correct. This may be the final two books that any of us hear, because Christ might return first. And so, when we come to the Gospel of Luke, we are coming to the longest of the four Gospels. Now, I know some of you know chapters. You know chapters in the Bible, and you say, but wait a minute, Pastor, Luke only has 24 chapters, and Matthew has 28. How can you say that Luke is the longest of the New Testament Gospels? Because we are not speaking about chapter numbers, but by content. Content. Luke has more by way of content than any of the New Testament writers. And we are going to find out that the Gospel of Luke has several significant parts of the circumstances that surround the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that none of the other Gospels contain. For example, it is in Luke's Gospel that we hear of Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. We see that even as we will begin there account in verse 5 next Lord's Day. We get to hear just what the angel Gabriel said to Mary as he was proclaiming the forthcoming of Jesus Christ and her being the birth mother of Jesus. None of the other three Gospels tell us about Zacchaeus and what Jesus accomplished on behalf of him as he saw him walk by one day. None of us tell us, none of the other Gospels tell us what the repentant thief on the cross said, other than Luke. In chapter 24, we see the encounter that Jesus, the risen Lord, has with the two men walking on the road to Emmaus, and what He says to them, and how He takes the Scriptures and explains all that the Old Testament said about Him, so that their hearts were burning within them, so that they understood exactly who it was that was walking with them as their eyes were open. What would you and I know about the prodigal if we had not read about it in Luke chapter 15? What would you and I know of the illustration of the Good Samaritan to show how Christians are to love one another when you are a genuinely, genuinely saved Christian as the lawyer stands up with Jesus in Luke chapter 10 and asks, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus asks him about the law. And the lawyer quotes the law and Jesus says, okay, let me tell you a little story. He tells him the story of the, what we call the Good Samaritan. And Jesus says, then go and do the same knowing he would never do that, nor could he ever do that perfectly. So all of these, all of these vignettes and many more we find in Luke's Gospel. And we ought to be thankful that they are here. We ought to be thankful to God that He's given them to us and that He challenges our thinking and He helps us understand exactly what was accomplished on our behalf by Him through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, history doesn't give us a lot about Luke as a person. But one thing we can be certain of is that Luke was not an apostle. Luke was not an apostle. In fact, I want us to go just for a moment over to Colossians. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Because in Colossians chapter 4, we get a, an understanding of just the background of who Luke is. Because in Colossians chapter 4, it, it, it indicates to us that Luke, not only was he not an apostle, but he wasn't even a Jew. 
Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul writing says this at the end, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas, my cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. And also Demas. Now, I trust you noticed, as I just read those few verses here in Colossians chapter 4, that Luke is mentioned by Paul as not being, notice, of the circumcision. Paul lists the names, and he lists them specifically, and he does not list Luke in the first part of that entire greeting under those who are from, as he says in verse 11, from the circumcision. Those who are from the circumcision were those who were Jews or converts to Judaism who went under circumcision as a sign of their conversion. Luke is only mentioned here by Paul as the beloved physician. Luke is known by his profession. He is known by who he is as a man, but here by Paul, everyone understood who Luke was when he mentions him as the beloved physician. Luke was a Gentile. He was a Gentile who was converted to faith in Jesus Christ and was, because he was a physician, we can determine he was a well-educated Gentile. He was a well-educated man. In those days, he was a medical doctor. Now, why would Luke write these accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ the way that he writes them. Why would he write the way that he does? And more importantly, the question I want us to ask this morning, why should we trust them? Why should we trust Dr. Luke? Well, in order to begin to answer those questions, we need to just begin to read it. We need to read the gospel. And so I want to read for us just the first four verses this morning. As you can imagine, we're not going to get all that far into the gospel. Just the first four verses, because this is Luke's introduction. This is Luke's way of saying just what he wanted to write and why he wanted to write it. And in understanding that fact, we can answer that question. Why should we trust it? Why should we trust it? Notice what he says in verses 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, servants of the word have handed them down to us, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Now you notice right away that this is not a long introduction. There are some that are longer. There are some that are shorter. It was customary in those days and the ancient times to begin any correspondence with some kind of general summary as to the way in which you were uh, going to compose your letter. In fact, years ago when I was young Christian in the church and my wife and I were attending a church and things were going kind of the wrong way, I believe biblically, I wrote a letter to the leadership and I, and I, and I followed this pattern. I, I just put on there who I was and why I was writing this letter. And it was kind of received in a strange way, as you could imagine. But I thought that was interesting. Luke begins his letter in that way. And this is longer than some. It is shorter than others. And it's filled yet with truth 
for us to glean because it's here, I believe, that Luke gives us a fourfold reason why you and I as Christians can trust what he has compiled for us. There's a fourfold reason why you and I, when we read Luke, can trust him. Now, some are saying, well, it, that seems rather obvious, Pastor. I mean, obviously it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, we can trust it, right? Well, there's truth in that. Yes, it's true. God gave us the scriptures. We talked about it this morning, even in adult Sunday school, the sufficiency of scripture. God is sufficient. He has given us everything. Luke is there. And therefore, it is scriptural. But not all people believe that. You meet people all the time who say, well, the Bible was man-made. It was written by men. It, it can, it's really not trustworthy. I mean, the God question, the overarching God reality of it, they have removed. Well, Luke, being an educated man, obviously being inspired by God, begins his letter this way. And I think here he gives us a fourfold reason why anyone, anyone, has reason to begin to trust what Luke has compiled for us. And how gracious of God to do that. How gracious of God, even though God doesn't have to condescend to us in that way, He is supernatural, He doesn't have to to accommodate our foolishness at all. God does that. And God gives us even reasons that even human argumentation in any logical and realistic sense can't argue against. This is extremely helpful for us because we live in such a day where any information that we hear is called into question, right? We live in a day and age right now where lies are exalted, where untruths are the norm. There is so much that we actually hear in all sorts of contexts that we cannot trust. All kinds of information coming of us that that cannot in any way be trusted. It's easy for us to be tempted to doubt truthfulness. And so if we're not careful, or if we begin in some kind of way, even as Christians, to drift in our minds about the Bible, even we can be tempted to doubt the veracity of what the Bible says. But Luke, notice, says to Theophilus, And therefore, by way of him writing and God having it in the Word of God for us, because all Scripture is God-breathed, he's writing it to us and he says this, I want you to know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. I want you to know the exact truth. In other words, it is Luke's intent to ensure that all of us come away from our study with a full and unwavering confidence in the things that we have been taught. In other words, by the time we get to the end of Luke, we ought to have an unwavering confidence in all that Luke has said to us. That it is true. That it is absolute. Specifically, he is writing to a man named Theophilus. There's not much about Theophilus. There's a lot of debate about who this may have been. We, was he just a friend of, of the doctor? Was he a patient at some point of Dr. Luke? Was he a friend who in some way had a high position around in the government? Um, Was he part of a royal family? Luke addresses him here as most excellent Theophilus. That was normally only addressed to those who were in high position or some kind of royal kind of family. Well, again, there isn't a whole lot of history written and shared about Theophilus. But this much we do know. His name means loved of God. That's what Theophilus means, loved of God or or friend of God. You might have it, some say it that way. Whatever his background was, whatever his upbringing was, whatever his family life was, whether he was royal or not, he at least had a heritage somewhere in that background with following after the Creator God because his parents named him such. 
as a friend of God. And since Luke doesn't address him in the same way, or doesn't address him in the same way at the beginning of Acts, some have concluded, some theologians and historians and Bible scholars have concluded that he probably lost his position because of his faith. So some of those who believe he was in a royal position and had a high position within government, when Theophilus got saved, Luke knew him in that position, but because of his stand for Christ, he somehow lost that position, and therefore Luke in Acts doesn't address him any longer as the most excellent Theophilus. We're not sure about that, but nevertheless, Luke wants him, and he wants us, to have a full and settled assurance to have an unwavering certainty about what we've heard about Jesus Christ. So what's the first reason that we can trust what Luke says? What's the first reason that I think Luke gives why we can trust what he says? Well, Luke tells us that the gospel, right, that's what this is. This is the gospel of Luke. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what gospel means. It's evangelion. It is, it is the good news concerning Jesus Christ. Luke says, trust what I tell you because the gospel is rational. The gospel is rational. You say, well, pastor, where, where are you getting that from? Well, notice verse 1. Verse 1, he says, inasmuch as Many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. Or it could be said this way, to write an account on which there is full conviction. In other words, I'm going to compile things concerning which there is a full conviction about. In other words, I want you to know the actual facts. That's what he's saying. I want you to know the actual facts. I don't want you to know things that are labeled as facts, but aren't facts. Things that are talked about as if they're truth, but they're not true. Things that people say about Jesus, but aren't really actually true of Jesus. Because there's a whole lot about Jesus that floats around, even in Christendom, that is not true. During the time of Theophilus growing up, Learning was primarily done orally. Orally. It was very costly to have any kind of writings. You had to go through an entire process just to get something to write it on, either an animal skin or some kind of papyrus, which was dried out, flattened out, and and took a long time to even manufacture. So it was very costly to have any of those kinds of things. Only the very wealthy might have had that. Theophilus might have had access to some of that when he was in position, but, but he didn't necessarily have the Hebrew Scriptures. And so all he knew was from oral tradition, things that were taught to him orally. Someone heard something, and they would pass that information on to to you. You would learn from these things. You would learn them from your parents. You would learn them from relatives who were older than you. But Luke is saying to Theophilus, listen, I want to write down the actual facts for you. I want to give you the actual facts. In other words, now you will have a written record. Now you're going to have a written record. You've heard things. You've been taught things. Things you've heard about, things you've been taught now. Now you're going to have a written record about those things. Now it's something that you can go back to. Right? And listen, this is something you and I need to think about when we, when we consider this, because Christianity is a relationship with the Creator God that is not hearsay and it is not oral stories. The things that you and I believe, the things that we place our life upon are not just hearsay. They are not just passed down from one family to the next and you grew up under that and oh gee, you can take it or leave it. It is not hearsay or some kind of oral story. What we believe is based upon actual fact. 
People say, I don't believe the Bible. It's just written by men. Well, it certainly was penned by men under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but it is fact. It is fact. It is fact given to us by the, by the most reliable source that could ever give us any fact, and that is the one who created all of us, God Himself. In fact, this is exactly what Hebrews 1 says. Hebrews 1, just listen. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and verse 2. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. That just means through dreams and visions and oral traditions and passing it down. In these last days have spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom also He made the world. He's spoken to us in the incarnate Word through the written Word. In other words, when you think about how you came to know the gospel and how you learned of Jesus Christ and the history of our our own lives. The first preachers to ever speak, they didn't go about proclaiming some kind of abstract, some kind of fake system of mystical principles and doctrines that they had made up that no one could understand and no one could certainly follow. No, they didn't preach that. You know what they did? They made it their task to preach actual facts. That's what they preached. They preached, as Paul said, Christ crucified. They preached the truth. They went throughout the world and they told others just what God had said about sin, what God had said about His Son, that His Son came down to the earth, that He became a man, and He lived a perfect life for us so that He might die in our place, so that you and I, when we believe upon Him, repenting of our sins, we would have life. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said, I gave to you as of first importance what I received. What was that, Paul? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. It's fact. It's written down. And that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says, it isn't just something I thought of. It isn't something my mom told me. It's not something I heard in school by some teacher It wasn't subjective at all. This is objective, actual fact. It's according to the Scriptures. And so that's what we do, folks. We preach Scriptures. We preach facts. And the Gospel can be trusted. Why? Because it's rational. It's facts. It's facts. It's factual. And therefore, let us trust it. Let us proclaim it with confidence. Let us not shrink back. I was telling some of the men this morning when I was on vacation, I was talking to some of the people that were around us, just getting acquainted with folks, and some inevitably someone will ask, Well, what do you do for a living? You know, and I would say, Well, I'm a I'm a pastor. And immediately crickets say nothing. One young man said, Well, I, I guess I better stop cussing then. I thought to myself, I don't know what that's going to do for you. It's not me who you need to please. But that's what happens. We preach the truth just by very nature of who we are. What we proclaim, our lives are to project and proclaim the truth. We preach the truth. We talk about facts, scriptural facts. And so let the main desire of our lives be to live by faith in Christ and today they know him better. So we can we can trust what Luke says first of all because what Luke says is rational. It's rational. Secondly, secondly, it can be trusted because it's reassuring. Reassuring, you're already getting the idea that these are going to be our words. They are. You can do like a crossword puzzle and try to think what my next one will be. It's reassuring. Notice verse 2. 
Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us. Now, who is Luke talking about here when he says eyewitnesses, those who who were servants of the word? Who is he talking to? Well, of course, we're talking about, well, of course, he's talking about the apostles of the early church. That's who he's talking about. He calls them, notice, eyewitnesses and servants or, or ministers of the word. I love that. I love that. Luke, an educated man, could have written something different here had God allowed it, but God didn't allow it. They, those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word were identified just as that. They were not identified, you notice, as apostles. There's no official title here. I like that. Why? Because this is what they were at their very essence. Sometimes we put them on pedestals as if they're something higher than, than maybe you or I are in the kingdom of God. Notice they were not apostles by title who, in the understanding of Luke and our understanding, who happened to be eyewitnesses. In other words, they weren't apostles and therefore as their apostles they were eyewitnesses of the things of Jesus Christ. No, they were eyewitnesses who were identified by Christ to be apostles. Totally different. Totally different. Right? In other words, there was no exaltation of man in the statement that Luke writes here. There's no exaltation of the human person here concerning the things of Jesus Christ. In other words, the people that we listen to aren't special in the sense that they were special and therefore we must listen to them. That's what man does, right? Man has all the titles and all the things and oh, I'm this and I'm that and I'm this and I'm that, so therefore I'm, you should listen to me. Luke says, I don't want you to listen to them because they're apostles. Luke says, look, They were eyewitnesses. That's what they were. Servants of the word. Now, now what's an eyewitness? I mean, I mean, we know what an eyewitness is, right? That's kind of a silly question. We know what it is. It's someone who saw something with their own eyes. That's an eyewitness. It's a self-defining term. Someone who sees something with their own eyes. In other words, these men told others what they had seen with their own eyes and what they heard with their own ears. You say, is that really what took place with these guys when they went around? Yeah. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Notice what John says. The Apostle John. What was from the beginning, <clears throat> what we have heard... What we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. In other words, my eyes were involved, my ears were involved, my hands were involved. I touched it, I felt it, I looked at it, I investigated it, I heard it, I saw it. This was all real. This isn't subjective information I'm giving you. This is objective information that was right there with me. And what was it about? It was all the information concerning the word of life, John said. The life was manifested. It was revealed. And we have seen and we testify, we're witnesses, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. It's interesting that the Apostle John says there, we proclaim to you the eternal life, and then he says the eternal life is a person. The one we have seen who was with the Father and was manifested to us. We know who that is, Jesus Christ. The only reason you and I have any idea and any understanding and can have eternal life at all is because Jesus Christ is eternal life. There is no eternal life through anybody else. That's why the beginning of the church in Acts, it says there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. John goes on to say in verse 3 of 1 John, what we have seen, what we have heard, we proclaim to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Luke says, 
Listen, I'm writing to you, talking to you in the same way, under the same auspice of those who were the servants of the Word of God to us. That is simply to say that they were ministers of the gospel. In other words, they they were men, men like you and I, who counted it their greatest privilege to go about in their lives, to carry on in life telling others about what they had witnessed concerning Jesus Christ. Why? So that others might know the freedom from sin. That's what they did. We can trust what Luke says. Why? Because the gospel is rational. And two, the gospel is reassuring. He didn't just make this up. He didn't pull this out of thin air. This just wasn't oral oral transmission and he's trying to figure out everything that he was heard. No. He's doing just like those who from the beginning did what he knows to be true. And then third, he gives us the third reason. Third reason here, we can trust what Luke says because it's replete. Replete. R-E-P-L-E-T-E. That's not a song. Some of you are saying replete. What is that? What is replete? Well, replete just means something that's well supplied. Well supplied. Right? I use that here because it describes Luke's qualifications as a historian. Luke is a historian here. Notice in verse 3, he says to us that he has, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning. It's interesting that when you look at the grammar of that portion of this sentence, by the way, verses 1 to 4 is one sentence in the original language. A little shorter than Paul's in Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 13. But here it's one sentence. And when you look at the grammar just in this portion of that sentence, so you look at the words that are there in that portion, investigated everything carefully from the beginning, you quickly see that Luke is tracing each and every event so as to ensure the accuracy of the account at its highest degree. Luke is investigating everything in detail so that he ensures that what he writes as a historian, the facts about it, are as accurate as they could be. In other words, Luke's just being a faithful historian. A faithful historian. And listen, beloved, that's what all true historians are to do. True historians give that which is true and factual. There are a lot of historians that don't do that. They, they give a lot of what they call history, and maybe it surrounds some of those facts, but true historians give that which was true and factual. That is the task of every true historian, to report the facts. To report the facts. Believe it or not, the task of a historian is not to interact with the facts. It's to give only what is true. They're not, to, they're not to convey what they believe to be true about the situation. That's what you read in a lot of history books. What that historian believed was happening at the time, conveying their own personal view of what took place. No, every true historian reports the facts of history... And that's what Luke does so faithfully in this gospel. Now, we cannot have that rest upon us and think that the other gospels are to be called into question because Luke says that's what he did. Surely, surely under the inspiration of Scripture, that is exactly what God had all of the Scripture writers do. So we cannot call them into question because to call them into question is to call into question the inerrancy of Scripture and the inspiration of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. So we cannot do that. We cannot call into question the very character and nature of God by assuming that because Luke says this and none of the other gospel writers say this, that therefore their facts are not as factual. That would be wrong. 
All the other scriptural writers were carried along by the Holy Spirit, just as it says in First Timothy, I mean Second Peter one, verse twenty-one. So that what we have in the scriptures is a full and complete historical record of God's redemptive plan through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I think this is exactly why the Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he said, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. See, the Apostle Paul knew. He was fully aware that what he was saying was in fact the word of God. That he didn't create it out of the wind. And this makes Luke rational, it makes Luke reassuring, and it makes Luke replete. He is dead on with everything. He has investigated it carefully from the beginning. And therefore, he writes out for us in consecutive order exactly what he has researched. And then that finally gives us a fourth reason we can trust Luke's account. We can trust it simply because it's reliable. It's reliable. It's rational. It's reassuring. It's replete. And it's reliable. It's reliable. In other words, there is certainty here. He says to his beloved friend, I wrote this so that you might know the exact truth, verse 4, about the things you have been taught. Now think about it with me. There is no confidence. You and I have no confidence whatsoever in words if if Luke was just giving us unwritten traditions that came flowing out of his own heart. We'd have no confidence whether we could believe it or not. I mean, how many people today, even in our day, say, God said to me, or I had a vision, or I heard this from God, and it's, it's contradictory, or it's extra to what we read in Scripture. And we go, well, how do I have any confidence that that's actually true, that it actually happened? I don't know whether it actually happened. I don't know where anything has happened. It's unverifiable, and therefore it's subjective and fraught with potential error at best. Luke's not, we would have no confidence in what Luke says if, if his confidence is, if our confidence is in some unwritten oral tradition that came from his heart. Listen, memory is good. Some of us wished our memory was better. God has given us memory, but memory is not infallible. It's not infallible. And Luke knew well. Being a doctor, being one who dealt with the physical ailments of men, Luke knew well the weaknesses of human memory. And the realistic outcome is that unwritten history can be altered. It can be altered by those who make additions and those who make subtractions that are born only from their word of mouth. He'll add to it, how many times has the fish caught on the line grown over time? Memory is good, but it's not infallible. And so you notice Luke doesn't say to his beloved friend Theophilus, hey, why don't you come over one day, come over to my little chalet, and I'll just share with you what I have heard. I'll just share with you the stories. We'll compare stories. No. He doesn't do that. He sits down and he puts pen to paper. Luke puts it in writing. Why? Because when it's in writing, it can be checked. It can be verified. It can be fact-checked, as we like to use in our day and age. Check the facts. Recheck them. And you know what that tells us? That tells us that Luke was a man of integrity. 
Luke was a man of integrity. And he's saying to Theophilus, listen, Theophilus, check all of this out. You've heard all these things. You've been taught a lot of things. Check it all out. I want you to have absolute certainty about it. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about my own life. And when I got saved, I grew up in the church. I've been in the church nearly all of my life. And yet I wasn't saved until I was 24 years old. And everything I had learned prior to that time, although much of it was good, I had to take all of that and filter it through the Scriptures, through the writings of Scripture. And anything that didn't match up, I had to get rid of. I had to do a fact check on all that I had heard, all that I had been taught. This is what Luke says to Theophilus. Listen, you've heard a lot. You've been taught a lot. We can say that to people around us. We can say that to people in religious organizations, people who grew up. Listen, you've been taught a lot. You've heard a lot. You might even have grown up in a home that called themselves Christian. You went to a Christian school. You've heard a lot. Have you fact-checked it? Have you taken it to the Word of God and fact-checked it? Luke says, listen, Theophilus, I want you to know the exact truth. I don't want you to have half-truths. I don't want you to have partial truths. I don't want you to have truth that's, that's kind of expanded with, with other kinds of false ideas and kind of has fuzzy edges to it. I want you to know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Check it out. I want you to have absolute certainty about it. If I had just told you orally, if I had just relied upon your memory to take it all in, and the insertion of other stories that come about are going to bring confusion to you. I mean, how many different versions in the different cultures around the world have some kind of story about redemption that comes through someone who died somewhere potentially, and all of this other kind of confusing nonsense. Luke says, I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to have the written facts. That's reliable. That's reliable. What a great care and concern Luke has for his friend. What a, what a sweet way to love his neighbor. I don't just want to tell you what I've heard. I, I want to show you. I want to put it down on paper. I want you to have written, reliable facts. What a grace of God, beloved, for us. What a grace of God that God would would carry along men who would take that painstaking effort that God had, had woven into the fabric of their very life, drawn them to Himself, allowed them to see the very things that we sometimes read about and go, man, I wish I was there. And yet we have the Scriptures made more sure. We have the written Word of God. We have it here in front of us. Luke says, I don't want you to have any doubt about any manner of your faith. I want you to have any doubt about it. I want you to know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. Wow. What a grace of God. What a grace of God. And then Luke launches into more content than we have in all any other place in the New Testament. Luke gives us more content than anybody else. Aren't you thankful that God has not left us completely dependent upon the traditions and oral words of men? Aren't you thankful of that? Man's mistakes, man's misspoken words about Jesus. None of that needs to confuse us. None of that needs to upset us. None of that needs to dampen our confidence in the Word of God. You know why? Because right there on your lap, on your electronic device, you have the written book. You have the written book. We not only have Luke, but we have 65 other books that God gave us, all written. We have a written book. It's able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone, Paul said to Timothy. 
And so I just say to us this morning, let's begin this gospel. Let's begin this gospel with a heartfelt desire to know more of the truth of Jesus Christ than we have ever known. We've studied through the gospel of Mark. We've studied through the gospel of John. We know a lot about Jesus Christ, but let us look at Luke's gospel with a new fervor in our heart that we might know the truth of Jesus Christ more than we have ever known. And then, as we are equipped with that understanding, let us be those who go and spread that knowledge to others. Let us point them back to the book and say, check it out. Have you checked it out? Have you fact-checked that? Let them check it out, all for the glory of God, all for the glory and honor of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And I pray that God would grant us wisdom as we study, knowing that this book is rational, reassuring, it is replete, and it is reliable. Well, that's the beginning. That's the start. We're here at the Olympics. We're in the starting gate. We got our feet on the blocks. Next week the gun goes off. And we start off like turtles. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for just this beginning. Lord, surely we could have spent weeks even in just these first four verses examining all the details and all the richness that is there for us. Help us to understand what you have told us this day. Help that knowledge upon our other knowledge grow us in Christ's likeness that we might find our greatest joy, our greatest comfort in you. That we might never doubt the veracity and objective reality of your word for it is truth and because it reflects you it is reliable completely reliable because you are reliable thank you for showing us that thank you for giving us that understanding help us lord to be wise and gentle as we proclaim these truths to others because it's according to the Scriptures. That you might receive all the glory in it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.